You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. And we'll spend our time talking to our learning stuff and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorahgmail.com. And of course, I will answer as many as I can. Or you can go to our webpage at letstalktorah.net. That's let's talk Torah, no apostrophes, let's talk Torah.net. And you can find the archives, you can find, you can search, you can find the new shows. Um, you can send your questions and comments, and we will answer them. And of course, the all important donate button, which is uh, greatly appreciated when you hit that donate button. You help us continue our work, you help us take care of our costs here in the studio, and you help the show grow. And of course, I do thank you in advance. So we're right up. If, you, uh, if you're listening to this show and you didn't listen to the last show, um, we're in the middle of discussing this amazing holiday of Sukkot. And if you didn't listen to part one, you should really listen to part one. But you don't must listen to part one. We're just going to discuss a different angle of the Sukkot holiday. But one thing I was talking about a lot in the last show is the difference between Yom Kippur and Sukkot, right? We were talking about how Yom Kippur, I'm serving God through prayer, through fasting. Sukkot, I'm serving God, um, we'll call it being joyous, eating, drinking, enjoying, much more physical, much more physical. But each one, even though I said they're so different, but the truth is each one, has the ability to create tremendous emotion. People can get very, the Hebrew word is nisragish. You can become very emotional through prayer, a day of praying and being angelic and, and just you and God. It's, a, it's an amazing day, Yom Kippur. It's just, just you and God. And as the day goes on, you have the ability to feel closer and closer to God. But you can also feel close to God by sitting in your sukkah, sitting in that hut, and eating, talking Torah thoughts, being with family, talking about why we're sitting in the sukkah, um, just the whole holiday spirit, we're not working. And that also, there's an amazing ability to get emotional. Certainly when you get to the end of Sukkot, and we're going to be dancing with the Torah scrolls on Simchat Torah, there, of course, is... You know, over the top, you can become emotional through the dancing and singing. So there's multiple ways to become emotional. And I actually saw a fascinating story about becoming emotional. Serving God, being emotional. Fascinating story. So a famous street in Tel Aviv called um, Dizengoff Street. There's Dizengoff Square. That's like there, like, I don't know what you call it. Is it... It's Israel's Park Avenue. They have their, I think they want to call it, the, you know, uh, in France, that road with the Eiffel Tower over there. Can't remember the name. But in any case, that's like Israel's like that. That's their street. It's a pretty long street. So there's a professor who happened to work on that street, not religious at all. 
And this professor did two things. He worked from morning to night. And then in the evening, he drove down Dizinga Street, pretty much the only street he was ever on. He drives down Dizinga Street, and he goes to take care of his father. Clearly in the story, he's either younger or just not married. One day, there's just so much traffic. Traffic, traffic. He doesn't know why there's traffic. He, there's no parking. And as he's driving, and he's getting close to his house, and, there, and there's no parking. So he remembers that there's a back alley behind his house, like a dirt road, but you can park your car there. So he gets into the alley, he parks the car, he starts walking down the dirt road. And as he's walking down the alley, so all of a sudden he sees a man, and the man says, you know, um, you probably didn't even know, but in this alley, there's a synagogue. And the professor says, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, right here. In this alley, there's a synagogue. We haven't missed a minion, a quorum of 10 people in 40 years. And it's getting late. Could we ask you to do us a favor and join our minion? You're the professor, nice person, you know. Uh, I don't know how to pray, but if, uh, if I can help you, I'll be glad to help. And this professor did not know how to pray. I mean, he could obviously read Hebrew, but he was clueless when it came to prayer. So the professor sits down, and he's just watching. He's watching. He doesn't even know what's going on. But he feels himself getting very hot. He feels like his innards are just, like, cooking. And, like, he feels his face is getting red. And, and, and he doesn't know what's going on. And uh, when the prayers are over, they thank him, and he goes runs out and runs to his father's apartment and he comes into the apartment and his father looks at him and he says, what's the matter? You're all like flushed, like what's going on? He says, he says, uh, I, I don't know what happened. There was a lot of traffic. I parked in the back alley. These guys came to me. They needed a minion. And as everybody knows what a minion is, right? He just never went to one, right? They... They had this little shul that they said I probably didn't know anything about. And I didn't pray, but I sat there. And as I'm sitting there, I'm becoming so hot and agitated and, and flushed. And I, I don't know what's going on. So his father says, I know what's going on. You know what's going on? How could you know why I'm all uh, whatever? So let me tell you a story. When your grandfather moved to Israel, he came from Poland. And I was a little boy, and there were a group of men that came. They came, they moved to Tel Aviv, and they wanted their own synagogue. And they built it. They were day laborers, but they built it brick by brick by brick. They got themselves the bricks and the cement and the floors, and, and they really built it by hand. It wasn't built by a construction crew with cranes and everything else. It was just built by a group of people, the prayer Synagogue was important to them. And I wasn't really interested, so I had nothing to do with it. But he prayed there all the time. And I can be sure that he's up there in heaven looking. He sees you go into the back alley. He says, this is my chance. I'm going to get my grandson to go to that synagogue. And he put into you all these emotions, and you don't know what to do with him. And maybe I should be apologizing to you that I never gave you the opportunity to even find out what these emotions are. But the fact that your grandfather got you in that situation 
and made you feel all those emotions, clearly he thinks there's hope for you. But I guess, unfortunately, he decided there isn't so much hope for me. Anyways, so that's uh, just getting into um, the emotions of these days. So we talked mostly in the last show about the hut, the sukkah, the purpose, the remembrance, what we're doing. But this sukkot holiday is really two parts. There's where we eat and drink, that we eat and drink in our sukkah. And then we also have a command to take these four species. We're going to take a citron, or in Hebrew it's called an esrog or an etrog. We're going to take a palm branch, a tall, green, straight branch that grows on top of palm trees and date trees. Eventually they open up. You don't, unless you're praying in a synagogue, you don't see them straight. When you see them on the tree, they're all opened up. We're going to take myrtle branches, three of them, and we're going to bind those three myrtle branches with two willow branches. It's not really willow branches. We're calling it a willow. It's not really the willow tree. The willow tree is, is the branches, the, the leaves are very pointy. This in Hebrew is called an arava. I'm not even sure exactly the exact English name. I forgot to look it up. So we, t- we bind, we tie together this palm branch, the lulav, with the myrtle, with the adasim, with the aravis. We tie them all together, usually using uh, palm branch leaves. And then we, that's in, in the right hand, and in the left hand we have the etrog, that yellow etrog, and we'll make a blessing, and we will shake them and in all four directions around us, and up and down, and we'll hold it during prayers, and we'll wave it during prayers, and, and it's a big deal. And there's a lot of fascinating ideas that revolve around the, these, what we call these four species. A lot of lessons to be learned. We're going to try to touch on some of them today in our limited time. And see if we can uh, get some good feeling about what's going on. So, I don't even know what order I want over here. But as I told you in the last show, I, um, I, I, I give these, these Torah thoughts to my students. And I actually brought them with me because I give them to third graders. But really, really, they're very deep and very powerful. And I happen to have, the last year I told you one of them, because only one really relates to the actual sukkah. The other three actually relate to these four species. So one of the ideas is when we look at these four species, because you have to remember, we're taking these four species and we're putting them together. So there's obviously a power in these four different types of plants and by putting them together, we're representing something that would seem to be quite important. Now, obviously, the simplest explanation is that it's, this is prayers for rain, because the rainy season is supposed to start soon after Sukkot. When I say the rainy season, I only mean in the land of Israel. We're not really concerned with the rainy season in other countries. This was prayers for rain in the land of Israel. Because they, in Israel, have a, um, a season for rain, unlike here in America, where it was pouring last night, and it's forever raining, depending where you live. And there's hurricanes, right? So that's even more raining. But in any case, let's look at these. Let's, let's do first things first. Let's look at the four species. So you have this citron. Citron is a fruit. So a fruit is something that has a good smell and a good taste. I'm not suggesting you eat the citron. It's not really the way they grow it nowadays. They're not growing it for taste. They're growing it for its looks, to look beautiful. 
But the fact of the matter is the fruit. So it has taste and smell. You have the palm branch, which the palm branch itself is a stick, but it's coming from a date tree. And the date tree has obviously dates, but that fruit has taste, but there's really no smell. Again, the citron is a, has a beautiful smell, but the date has no smell. Then you have the myrtle branches. Maybe you've seen them. Sometimes when you get flowers from a flower store, if they want extra, like, a perfumey smell, they'll, they'll stick in a couple of myrtle branches. They have, like, those little leaves, like three of them in each line, and they grow on a thicker stick. So that has a beautiful smell, but there's no fruit there. And then you have this willow-type branch, this arava, which is, uh, you know, it's a green plant. So there's no smell, and there's no taste. Okay, so now that we've described them, let's, let's go to hint number one. Right, we're going to have different thoughts. So we're going to try to take one thought at a time. So the etrog, the citron, which has smell and taste, is comparable to a person who has it all. He's a Torah scholar. He does good deeds. He's kind. So he has study, Torah study, and good deeds. Then you have... The lulav, the lulav has taste, but it has no smell. That, the Medri says, compared to the Torah scholar. It has very good taste, but there's something missing. He's missing the good deeds. Then you have the myrtle branch, right? The myrtle branch has very good smell. That's, that's in, that relates to good deeds, but it has no fruit. There's no, there's no Torah study. And then you have the arov that has nothing, so that's the guy who's uh, not studying Torah, doesn't have good deeds. He's just a guy or a gal. So what's the Torah saying? We're binding them all together. In other words, God wants in our prayers. He doesn't want one group off to the side. He wants everyone together, all kinds of Jews, all together, all praying for the same thing. That's that's the kaleidoscope. That's the, that's the symphony when we put everyone together. As part of the lesson is not to each one be on their own, and you got to be like me, and i got to be like you, and anybody who's not like me or like-minded, I'm not talking to. I'm not having anything to do with. No, we, we want to be involved with everyone. Um. And not only that, there's a medrash that says that God told Abraham, when you tie them all together, they help bring a forgiveness to each other. However, it is interesting. Very interesting, deep thought. They're not really all four tied together. I told you before, three out of the four are tied together. The palm branch, the rava, and the myrtle branch, the adasin, those are tied together. But the etrog, the citron, which has the good smell and good taste, we bring it together for the blessing, but they're not tied together. Which means, yes, it's important for all of us to be together. There's all kinds of people, and we want everyone to be together. But no one should confuse the fact, the, what we'll call the tzaddik, the righteous person who has the Torah, has the Torah study, and the good smell, that righteous person, it's not his job to connect to everybody else. It's everybody else's job to connect with him. In other words, we're not tying 
the edge of bringing him close. Everyone should get close to him. But you have to put in the effort to bring yourself close to that righteous person. But the righteous person does not have to run after you to be close to you. It's a very deep, interesting thought, and we'll let that percolate a little bit. And we'll talk about another idea about the um, about these four species. And this one I love. I always said it one way, but I found this paper somewhere, and it, it says it a little different. And that little difference, I think, is amazing. So it happens to be the shape of these four species are fascinating. If you would... If I would ask you, you have to know what they look like. But if you know what they look like, it's it's like almost a no-brainer. The the palm branch is very tall and straight. Just a straight, tall branch. It reminds you of a person's backbone. Very tall, straight, we hope, right? Holding everything up. The um the citron, the S the etrog, it's like a blob. I mean there's different shapes, but it's a little like um like a blob. Could be a ball sun. It's not supposed to be in a ball shape. It's more of a, a little bit longer. Um, it could remind you of the heart muscle. The myrtle branch, the myrtle leaves, actually look like the shape of an eye. A person's eyes. And the willow branch, the arava, is longer and narrower and has like a line through the middle. It actually looks like a person's lips. So I always taught, and it's pretty famous, that when we take these four species that represent four important parts of our body, right, our spine, that's what keeps us up, what we see, how we speak, um, our heart, our feelings, and, and in Kabbalah, it's a lot of times my thinking is also associated with my heart. Um, so we're saying you pray to God with your whole body, right? That's how you pray to God. But this idea I saw is a little different, but I think powerful. He says, it's not, you know, it's this first explanation I gave you is all about me, right? My backbone, my heart, my eye, my lips, that I have to know to use my whole body to pray to God. It's beautiful. But now we're going to take it a step further. The lulav does represent the back. Right, but it's it, it's it's representative that I stand up for others. I don't just stand up. I was, without a backbone, you can't stand up, right? And I stand up for others. I don't just stand. I'm standing with a purpose, not just for myself, but I'm standing to take care of others. Okay. Now the others are gonna follow follow pretty pretty easily. So the I, right? is how do I look at other people? How do I look at other people? And I, he says it a drop differently over here, but not only how do I look at other people, but do I look at those people that are overlooked? Right? I, I'm who am I standing up for? Not the guy who doesn't need my help. I'm standing up for the people that nobody cares about. And maybe I have to look for those people that nobody cares about. And not discussing how I should be looking to help those people. That's a totally different conversation, right? We're not getting into any homeless. We're not, not going there. Not talking about that. But it, first we have to have the concept of how those people should be helped. 
is a totally different conversation. The as I tell you, the willow, the arava, looks like my lips, right? How do either how do I speak about others, or the way this thought is going is how do I speak? for others, for people who don't have a voice, for people who don't know how to take care of themselves. How do I speak for them? How do I take care of them? How do I protect them? Right? Mothers do that for children all the time. My son decided to get a speeding ticket recently, so his mother is speaking up for him. She calls the judge, or she calls the court, and she takes care of the letter, and okay, we have to, we're working on it, but she's taking care, right? She's but that's what mothers do, right? And the heart, the etrog, right? The heart is how do I feel for others? So now I'm taking these four species and I'm holding them together to say, remember that y- you are not a selfish person. You're supposed to be a selfless person. How do you use your talents to help others? So that is just a beautiful amazing thought, which I share with my class, and I'm not sure how good they get it, but sometimes I like giving them ideas, stuff they should think about. And if they take it home, I get the parents to think about it, because they can read, and maybe it can become a table conversation. That's beautiful. Um, I have a, a one more. This one's a little deeper, but... and. Um, Maybe the hardest of all the thoughts, but I think a very beautiful thought. If you've, again, many people don't even know what the sukkah holiday is about, but there's something fascinating about the sukkah holiday. When we're holding these four species, nobody comes over and says, can I see your palm branch? You know, your willow branches are so green and beautiful. It's amazing. Those myrtles, I can smell those myrtles across the room. No one says that. But let me tell you what everybody says. Can I see your etrog? Can I hold it for a second? Wow. I tell you, my, my, some of my children have been arriving today. The first thing everybody wants, once they're settled in, can I see your etrog? Can, where is it? Can I take it out of the box? Can I have to look at it for a minute? And then I, of course, will say, oh, can I see yours? Ooh, very beautiful, and it's clean, it's yellow, and it's shape, and it's so beautiful. Why? To my knowledge... There's really no other mitzvah command that we do that somehow it's natural for everybody to say, um, can I see that, please? Right? Nobody says, when I'm praying, can I see your prayer book? Right? Nobody says, um, can I see your chauffeur? Um, nobody says, I don't say people don't check out what my sukkah looks like, your sukkah looks like, but nobody really cares. This decoration, that decoration... When we do basic commands, nobody says, can I see your chicken soup? Right? Maybe I want the recipe. But w- this is like a show-offy type of, of mitzvah. And the question is, why? So they're very f- fascinating, but a deep thought. So Adam Arishan, the first man, we know he sinned. He ate from the tree of knowledge, the Eitzadas. Now, I know if I ask you what the fruit was, you all say apple but in the Talmud, apple is not on the list of what the tree of knowledge actually was, what fruit it was. It's debatable. There's Some say date tree, some say grapevine, some even say a wheat, a, a, a wheat stalk. But some say it was the etrog. Now, let's think for a second. Why did Adam want to eat from the tree of knowledge? 
because he wanted knowledge. Right? And that's what God gave him wasn't enough. He wanted to be more godlike. So he was, that's a haughtiness. Right? I'm not satisfied with what I have. Again, when it comes to Torah study, we're never satisfied. When it's knowledge, when it's helping people, I'm never satisfied. But here, he was basically, God told him, don't take it. And I say, I know God said not to take it, but I, wanna, I want more. So I'm going to take it anyways. That's the, the sin is in the realm of haughtiness, of what we call gaiva. So the first man sinned using the etrog in a haughty matter. That's, that, that's part of the point of what he was doing wrong. Not just the eating, but what was behind it. So we say to God, we say, the first man sinned with this, um, with this attribute, with this midah of haughtiness. We are going to show you, God, that we can use that same attribute and serve you properly. And we do it with etrog, because the etrog happens to be, it's important to beautify all mitzvos. Make a beautiful sukkah. Have beautiful tefillin. Have beautiful tzitzis. Many mitzvahs, we have a command to make it beautiful. But if you don't spend the extra money to make it extra beautiful, it's still kosher. The etrog has rules that if it doesn't qualify as being extra beautiful, and again, there's qualifications, um, you don't fill your command. Because this is a command that we do, we show it off. Look how beautiful mine is. Look how beautiful yours is. But... The music is playing, but I think we got through just about everything. So I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, for all wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you on the production team. I have Alan today in the back. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it. There's a house we can build Every room inside is filled With things from far away Special things I can buy